Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. observation this morning as you're going to hear a lot of conversation um, about the action in Mississippi to replace the flag and and how what the process is going to look like related to that. Um, so words and images have a lot of power. We communicate through words and through images. And so instead of focusing intently or directly on the image that is going to be uh, removed from the flag and the words which are being proposed to replace it, because I actually think that as Christians, that's really significant. It's really significant that, uh, that the Mississippi legislature is proposing to replace the Confederate flag in the, in the flag of the state of Mississippi. And what are they replacing it with? They're replacing it with an, an expression of faith. In God we trust. So in God we trust is the national motto. And uh, obviously there are those across the country who would like to see the motto uh, dropped because they want us to be a godless country. But for those of us who acknowledge God and have a reverent fear and respect of God, who love God, um, who advocate for God's kingdom principles in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. We have to celebrate this kind of move that we would be replacing, that one state in our union would be proposing to replace something that is certainly divisive. I'm not, I'm not going to argue, uh, you know, here the, the, the merits of, uh, of the Confederacy, because I don't think that's worthy of our time. But to replace an image of the Confederacy with words that expressly honor God, we as Christians just have to be supportive of that. You just you can't you can't stand in opposition to in God we trust being uh, being placed upon uh, the state flag uh, of Mississippi. But let me pivot to another flag um, and another image and another movement that uh, took center stage over the weekend. And so we have been talking about, you know, mass protests uh, across the country. And those have centered on um, not only George Floyd, um, but others like George Floyd who have experienced um, what can only be described as unjustifiable um, violence brought against them in no small measure because of the color of their skin. And so we, we're having that conversation as a nation. We're going to continue having that conversation as a nation. We as Christians are going to continue speaking into that, acknowledging that in Christ there is no longer male or, or free, uh, Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, that all are one in Christ, that the one blood that matters is the blood of Jesus Christ, that skin pigmentation is something uh, about which we as human beings show partiality 
um, but something in relationship to which God shows no partiality. And so we're going to continue talking about that. We're going to continue tilling that soil. We're going to continue having that uncomfortable conversation. Um, but there's another image and another flag and other giant gatherings that took place yesterday over the weekend. And that would be the 50th anniversary of the Pride Movement. And um, and here, I just want to remind us that the rainbow, the rainbow is an image that first and foremost belongs to God. And so if you want to center your attention on a flag and have a conversation about the flag that people um, wave over them, the banner people walk under, and why they wave a particular flag, um, I, I want you to consider how the rainbow means one thing. It, it means what God says it means. It does not mean um, any, any, uh, hmm, looking for a, I'm looking for a word here. I'm being very careful. It does not mean what it does not mean. <laughs> I'm going to leave it there. All right. I have waiting in the wings, Deb Gorton. She's the author of Embracing Uncomfortable, um, because man, this, we're living in the day, right? Of of having to learn to be resilient and embracing that which is uncomfortable from conversations to realities in the culture. So up next, Deb Gorton. We'll be right back. Dr. Deb Gorton is a licensed clinical psychologist. She is the Gary Chapman Chair of Marriage, Family, Ministry, and Therapy at Moody Theological Seminary and Graduate School. She's passionate about uh, teaching us how to embrace and radically accept the uncomfortable in order to fulfill our purpose. And she is here today with her brand new book, Embracing Uncomfortable, Facing Our Fears While Pursuing Our Purpose. Deborah Gorton, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so, wow, um, embracing uncomfortable. Let's just start there. What does that mean and what does it require? <laughs> yeah, talk about a, a timely book. Timely, Never did timely. I imagine the context in which it would, it would be published. But, you know, honestly, it's, it, it stems from just years of my work as a psychologist and even uh, just kind of turning the spotlight on my own life and seeing how so often we you know, we have this sort of arbitrary sense of what our values are, but every day we make decisions that are more based on kind of autopilot familiarity. And when we step back and take a good hard look at those decisions, they really contrast with what we value most. But stepping into that place of living authentically really requires this concept of embracing uncomfortable. Working out falls into this category. Yes. 100%. Right? 100%. I don't so let's know many just, people that say I love working out. Right. And they and there's something wrong with them if they do. So no. I'm, so let's just start with something simple like that, because when we talk about embracing uncomfortable, um, what, you know, what pops maybe to the to the headline level right now, um, uncomfortable conversations with a black man, the conversations that Emmanuel Acho is seeking to have as a black man with those of us who are white. But we don't have to go all the way to something that is um, maybe personally that uncomfortable. Let's start with it's uncomfortable to actually make the move from the sedentary chair to walking around the block. Like get me get me doing one uncomfortable thing today. 
Okay, you got it. And and I love the example because I actually talk about walking in the book. So I live in the heart of downtown Chicago, and I made this sort of ridiculous commitment without really thinking it through to walk uh, to and from work every day for a year. And I started this in July. Mm, and so it, it gets crazy. wintry. Yeah. yeah, right. And I grew up in Arizona. So January hits and I'm <laughs> thinking, what was I, what was I committed to? But what happened was every morning I'd wake up and I would have this internal debate. You know, my bed's comfortable. It's dark. I don't want to get up. It takes more time to get to work this way. And yet I, I had this realization, I'm never going to like this in the winter months in particular, but I know that once I get to work and I've made that commitment, I'm going to feel so much greater validation and contentment than in those few moments of discomfort of having to make the choice to get out of bed. Um, and so I would just take it a step at a time and guaranteed at the end of a year, when I looked back on the follow through and especially in those difficult months, I felt so much more empowered and positive about my choices. And I started to realize, wow, this is such a parallel process for those difficult conversations that you were, you know, talking about. Um, and so it just took like every day an intentional thought process, taking the time to really consider how do my choices reflect the core values that I hold on to. Okay. I want to talk about core values, but I want to remind people um, that I am talking with uh, Dr. Deb Gorton. We're talking about her book, Embracing Uncomfortable, Facing Our Feels fears while pursuing our purpose. I do have copies to give away. If you are interested in entering the drawing for one of those, text the word book to 877-933-2484. There's probably not a more timely book out there if you are um, you're struggling to actually align your life with what you know in your head and heart you want your life to look like. This is the book. Um, so uh, let's talk about it. You used the, the words there, core value. That's not just something I value. So what's the difference between, you know, the things I value and my core values? Yeah. You know, I think of core values like what gives us sort of the compass north in our in our life map. It's those really key elements that inform whether consciously or unconsciously our, our daily decision making and what we pursue on a larger scale. Whereas the things that we we value, which could be um, you know, physical, tangible things, they could be resources, but they don't necessarily have an impact on our overall sense of well being and congruency and life decision-making. They might and be that like a means to an end, so to speak. Yeah. So that word congruence is really, I think, critically important in this conversation. And so I want to return to that in just a moment um, because we live with dis-ease. We live with disconnection. We live with disgruntled relationships because we live these lives that are um, not integrated, that are disintegrated um, and incongruent. So I want to, I want to return to that conversation um, about incongruence and how it wreaks havoc in our lives. I am talking with uh, Dr. Deb Gorton. We're talking about her book, Embracing Uncomfortable. And yes, I have copies to give away. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Deb Gorton. Gorton is spelled G-O-R-T-O-N. You can find her online at debgorton.com. You can also connect with her there um, on all the socials. So um, I just did. 
So, you know, you have to respond to my LinkedIn request, but I'm already following you on Twitter and Instagram. So there you go. (laughs) So um, I know, don't be creeped out by that, that whole following thing. It's not like, yeah. So um, (laughs) let's talk about congruence and incongruence. There are definitely things um, that when I discover they are incongruent with uh, the mind of Christ, the, um, the character of God, I then, you know, I then want to willingly submit to the active work of the Holy Spirit. I want to be changed in that one way. I want for my life to be more conformed to the image of Christ at that very specific point. So for me as a Christian, that's the issue of congruence or incongruence. What what kind of havoc does incongruence wreak in our lives? Oh, well, I love the way you described it because that is at its core the essence of 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 living a congruent uh, life, life as a Christian and incongruence. I mean, it's the core cause of stress in our life and stress can wreak significant habit, havoc on us from physical stress to mental stress. You know, it can, it can result in illnesses and uh, mental fatigue and so much more. Uh, but I love to talk about, a lot of people ask me, well, how do I know if I'm living incongruent with my core values? And to me, there's kind of three markers to look for and they're not easy. So I always want to preface this by saying, much easier said than done. Um, But it's kind of what I call the three haters of change. One is Mm. justification. So when we start kind of saying, you know, like, well, I I deserve to feel this way, or it's okay that I'm acting, we kind of start giving excuses for our behavior. The second is minimizing. And that's either minimizing our own experience or that of others. And then the third is denial. So just simply not even acknowledging there's a problem to begin with. And those are great ways to kind of look internally and say, okay, where am I living incongruent with what matters most to me? If you see one or all three of those areas popping up in your life, it's it's very likely that your actions are not reflecting your true values. All right. And I think the older we get, then the more set in our ways we become. And we really need other people to help us see those points of incongruence. Um, And so talk with us about the important, as Christians in particular here, talk with us about the importance of community and accountability and being able to say hard things to each other and respond in love and then walk with each other um, step by step in the journey ahead. Because I I just think that for most of us, that's really critical. and, And the church is not necessarily doing a good job being the church on this point. Yeah, critical is the key word. I mean, we cannot do this without community. It's it's who God designed us to be. And yeah, unfortunately, I don't think the church has modeled well what it looks like to kind of have these crucial conversations with one another to to share bonds of love in the midst of disagreement um, and discord. And so what does it look like for us to build our own community around us of people that, you know, we can be vulnerable with, that, that we trust, who speak to us, you know, speaking the truth and love. But the key is really looking inside, starting with ourselves and saying, okay, I'm committing to a posture of humility in this process. And the reason I can do that is because my identity doesn't lie in other people. It lies solely in Christ. So even if you come to me and you say, hey, you know, Deb, I've noticed that your actions here are hurting other people. My my initial reaction might be defensiveness out of just kind of, you know, the natural response of my brain. But if I can commit to that posture of humility, then I can turn and say, okay, what about my actions are causing this without it, it having a direct hit to my identity, which is which is key. 
All right, I am talking with Dr. Deb Gorton. Gorton is G-O-R-T-O-N. You can find her online at debgorton.com. We're talking about her book, Embracing Uncomfortable, Facing Our Fears While Pursuing Our Purpose. I have copies. If you're interested in entering the drawing for those, text the word book, nothing else, just the word book, to 877-933-2484. Um, Deb, um, I think that when when we start approaching anything that has the word uncomfortable in it, <clears throat> or we start broaching a topic that um, makes it sound like I'm going to have to do some work. I want you to invite us into that um, because of the glory set before us, because of the positive possible future that God has already uh, deigned for us to live in. God did not design us to live um, in 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 bodies or in relationships or in community that's just reeked with havoc and so, you know, there is a better day. If I'm willing to go through the work, there is a better day ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that's that's really the key right there is we avoid discomfort in the moment because it's scary. It's unknown. You know, it, it, it's the very definition of the word. It's uncomfortable. And yet the reality is what we do is we, we make these kind of safer, comfortable choices and the outcome is long term discomfort. But God has flipped the switch on that. He's saying in the moment when you make the hard choice, it's moving you closer and closer to who I created you to be and to, and to the world I created. Um, and so when we can kind of make that mindset shift of saying, okay, in the moment there's temporary discomfort because I'm moving against the greater, you know, worldly culture, what's telling me I should look like and act like and be like. Um, but in the long run, I experience this sweet community with God and with, um, with his creation. I just, um, I love every part of this. I want to, I want to conclude our conversation here today um, by helping us understand the difference between comfort and contentment, because, mm. you know, contentment is, for me, this peace which passes all understanding. It's just such a gift, and I love to live in this contented place. Um, but that's different than than comfort. Yeah. And, and actually, contentment is what I would be striving for, right? Mm. I think a lot of times we see, um, we see emotion in Scripture, and we think, okay, in order— for my actions to to be uh, aligned in this direction, I have to feel a certain way. And yet I read scripture like, you know, consider joy. And I love this because it's about, you know, a state of how we, our posture and our actions. And so when we consider um, our choices in pursuit of contentment, uh, I think that's when we can step into uncomfortable and still experience that contentment. Whereas comfort is more about, you know, the, the lack of, of fearful choices in our lives that's actually keeping us in this state of incongruence. So contentment, you know, the emotion that I want to align my actions to pursue. Um, all right. That is Dr. and Professor Deb Gorton. Um, and she is, among other things, the author of Embracing Uncomfortable, Facing Our Fears While Pursuing Our Purpose. If you'd like to enter a drawing for one of the copies we have here in studio, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, Deb, thank you so much, not only for the conversation today, but for the work you're doing. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Have a blessed day. We'll be right back. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu uh, yesterday in a speech at Q5, which is Christians United for Israel, 
ask evangelical supporters to lobby the government here in the United States in favor of Israeli annexation of parts of the West Bank. So I want you to be aware of this um, because the the reality is that um, Hamas has said that any further development of the West Bank by Israel would be considered an act of war against uh, the Palestinian state. And so I want to alert you of this. I want you to be aware of this. Um, And as we turn to international headlines around the globe with Dr. David Aikman, I thought that I would just uh, share that headline with you. He and I are going to talk about Russia and then, yes, the Israeli annexations, as well as, wow, at least three headlines related to China. All right. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. It's the repeated pattern in Scripture. Evil, God, good. This is Max Licato. Evil came to Job, tempted him, tested him. Job struggled, but God countered. He spoke truth, declared sovereignty. Job, in the end, chose God. Satan's prime target became God's star witness, and good resulted. Evil came to David. He committed adultery. Evil came to Daniel. He was dragged to a foreign land. To Nehemiah, the walls of Jerusalem were destroyed, but God countered. Because he did, David wrote songs of grace. Daniel ruled in a foreign land. And Nehemiah rebuilt Jerusalem with Babylonian money. Good happened. With Jesus, bad became good like night becomes day. Regularly, reliably, refreshingly, and redemptively. Evil, God, good. When God gets in the middle of life, evil becomes good. This is Max Lucado. My name is Bond, James Bond. Joining me again today on this uh, Monday morning is Dr. David Aikman, editor of Godspeed Magazine. Welcome back, sir. Thank you, Carmen. Very nice to talk to you. Russia. Russia, Russia, Russia. Okay, so let's start with the constitutional referendum um, related to Putin. Um, can you just brief us in on on that? I, I just It feels like he is uh, just desiring to have a lifetime position. Well, it certainly does. I mean, he's been in office since the 31st of January uh, in the year 1999. And he's been successfully elected as president, although for one period he took the job as prime minister and uh, Medvedev became president. But recently he's, uh, he's contested the presidency and he's managed to put himself in office at least until 2024. And it looks as though he's essentially trying to get in for life if uh, if the, um, the Duma, the Russian parliament, agrees to this. So why does that matter? I mean, when we talk about worldview, when we talk about um, the way Putin uh, not only views the world but leads the nation of Russia, why does it matter to us that he would continue to uh, be in, not only in the particular position that he's in, but in a position with actually a wider scope of power? Well, because Putin, don't forget, is in charge of the country with the largest amount of nuclear weapons, except for the United States. And he has been willing to use Russian 
military power and political influence all over the world, particularly in the Middle East. And since the Middle East has continued to be a very unstable area with the new rise of ISIS in uh, Iraq and Syria, what the Russians do really matters for all of the regional governments and indirectly and sometimes directly for the United States as well. All right. And so let's let's talk about whether or not you're surprised by um, headlines that Russian uh, that Russia is, has been paying bounties to Taliban linked militants for killing coalition forces in Afghanistan. It's a very sad story, though, but it doesn't surprise me one bit. I mean, I think the Russians regarded as in their national interest to destabilize the United States and other democratic countries in any way they can. And if they had to bribe the Taliban uh, to be a little bit more accurate in their sniping literally at American and coalition soldiers uh, in Iraq or Afghanistan, they will do that to make life much harder for everybody else. And then, you know, as a person who has been paying attention to world events for a long time, um, taking the president of the United States at his word that neither he nor the vice president were briefed on these uh, these revelations about uh, Russia paying bounties to Taliban linked militants. Um, What what went wrong? I mean, if if the president and the vice president of the United States didn't know who did know and when did they know? These are probably questions that, you know, I have for for Congress to dig into. But what went wrong in our intelligence communications um, if indeed the president and vice president did not know, were not briefed? Well, you know, this is a very sad case of things falling through the cracks. The, the CIA, on the whole, does a very good job keeping in touch with events around the world and briefing the president and the vice president and other officials on that. But sometimes they don't get things right. Sometimes they're just not informed. And whether that's a local CIA official who was not in charge of, of, uh, of officials of that country were keeping track of events, we don't know. But it is a very serious uh, lapse in the whole chain of command in the intelligence community. It's a very sad event. All right, let's pivot to Israel. Uh, Israel says that on July 1st, it intends to annex uh, addition, additional portions of uh, what the Palestinians uh, regard as their territory and terrain. Qatar is now involved. The White House has apparently made no decision in relationship to this. Um, some oppose Israeli annexation. Um, uh, the the Israeli prime minister um, is lobbying evangelical Christians in the United States that that encouraging evangelical Christians to lobby members of Congress here um, that we would be supportive of it. Give us give us your sense of what's going on um, with this Israeli annexation process and your reaction to Hamas saying it would it would be equivalent to a declaration of war. Well. Of course, Hamas uh, has basically been in a state of war against 
Israel and indeed the United States for as long as it's ever been in existence. There is a lot of opposition within Israel to this move because many Israelis realize that it, it's internationally unpopular for Israel to extend its political sovereignty over settlements in territory that much of the world regards as belonging to Palestinians, although the Israelis and many other people would argue that it was never actually a Palestinian territory, but it was territory that was occupied by other countries, notably Jordan, uh, for several years after 1949. And finally, when Israel was attacked, in 1967 by a coalition of Iraq, uh, Iraq, uh, Syrian, and Egyptian troops, then the Israelis simply had to maintain uh, military occupation over the territory. And of course, they built settlements, some of which have prospered and done very well, and are actually manufacturing stuff. Um, and they, the Israelis who live in those settlements, don't want to be under Palestinian law, which is notoriously unpredictable and does not operate by the usual judicial processes that Israeli law functions by. So they are very happy. The the settlers in the in the West Bank would much rather be un under Israeli rule. Um, probably the Jordanians, although they won't publicly say so, would agree with that, as would some other Middle Eastern Arab powers. But the Palestinians have got a stranglehold on the diplomatic processes in the Middle East, and they won't make it easy for any country that any Arab country that consent to what Israel plans to do. All right. Well, this is going to be a story we're going to watch um, unfold this week uh, and and into the future. Um, when we come back from a very brief break, uh, David Aikman and I are going to pivot our conversation to China. In relationship to China, we're going to talk about Hong Kong. We're also going to talk about the AP reporting that China is forcing birth control on Uyghurs to suppress their population. Um, and then we're going to take a very brief look at what is happening at the uh, at the border between China and India, where satellite images show construction on both sides of the contested border in the Himalayas. Those conversations up next on Mornings with Carmen. All right, we're going to pivot to a conversation about China. China borders 14 countries plus Hong Kong and Macau. It has disputed borders with Bhutan, India, Mongolia, Myanmar, uh, Nepal. It's got a border with North Korea and obviously Russia, um, Vietnam, on and on. So we're going to talk about some of the concerns and issues related to China now with David Aikman. David, let's start with Hong Kong. Uh, what's developing there? Well, of course, the Hong Kong citizens are very distressed at 
China's National People's Congress law, which will probably come into effect this coming Tuesday, uh, that Hong Kong will be under special security regulations, which it was not previously under in the one country, two systems approach that China was adopting. China is now essentially communizing Hong Kong. It's forcing Hong Kong to accept the same legal restrictions that everybody in China accepts. And that's something the people of Hong Kong are absolutely, totally opposed to and are fighting with all, all the energy that they can, uh, can muster to do so. And certainly we, uh, we hear from and recognize the concerns of Christians in China uh, and in Hong Kong related to, uh, related to this. When we talk about other persecuted people of faith, uh, minorities within China, so now pivoting away from, uh, from Hong Kong to what's going on internally with the Uyghur population, the Associated Press, David, is reporting, maybe this is not a surprise to any of us, that China is forcing birth control on the Uyghur population in an effort to suppress them. Well, that's absolutely right. I mean, I think the the upshot of China's policy on the Uyghurs living in Xinjiang is to limit their influence, their expression, their activities, and finally to limit the number of Uyghurs who can actually replace citizens who are dying. It's a tragic case. I wouldn't call it genocide because they're not literally uh, putting to death people, but they are preventing the population from exercising its normal population expansion through high birth rate and totally prohibiting that. That's a human rights violation of the greatest dimension. So I want to talk about North Korea, but because we're we're focused here for just a minute on human rights violations, I feel like uh, at least taking note of the 75th anniversary of the United Nations um, is significant. And, you know, the United Nations was originally formed in order that countries would cooperate and threats would be minimized and we'd be able to live more peaceably with one another. But in terms of like what we have already talked about here, Russia and China, and we're going to pivot here to a conversation about North Korea, when you just have perpetually bad actors around the world, the United Nations really, I don't know, it's a, it's a lovely idea with, um, with little effectiveness in certain places. Well, one of the problems of the United Nations is that uh, most of the comply, component countries do not adopt a right and wrong attitude towards justices and injustices around the world. And when you have the United Nations, both in the Security Council and the General Assembly, consistently voting to condemn Israel for its alleged infractions of the international law and human rights, and completely failing to mention what's going on in North Korea, in China, and in other countries, the credibility of that international body as a force for moral value is seriously eroded. 
All right, so let's talk about one of the great human rights offenders, and that would be uh, North Korea. Um, why don't you well, give us the headline headline there? Well, the North Koreans have, of course, done nothing to uh, to improve their human rights behavior regarding freedom of worship, freedom of movement, freedom of information. They consistently had a rigidly totalitarian regime, in spite of their apparent efforts to want to liberalize relations with the United States and even to improve relations with other countries in the world. So their track record has been dismal all along. And I don't think we see any sign of an amelioration of their situation in the country. Very unfortunate. All right, and I'm reading some headlines um, related to North Korea, David, that uh, that that say that it's possible that North Korean's leader is uh, is in poor health. We have seen the rise of his sister in terms of public profile, and we have North Korea threatening the U.S. with a nuclear attack and Japan apparently backing out of a costly U.S. missile system um, d- despite the imminent threat that North Korea would pose to them. So there's certainly headlines that you and I are going to have an opportunity to watch in relationship to North Korea, but we're going to have to leave it there today. Um, Thank you, as always, so much for joining us. That is David Aikman, editor of Godspeed magazine. Always helps us on Monday sort through the international headlines. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much, Carmen. Much appreciated. We'll be right back. Okay, well, maybe over the weekend um, you have heard that people have posted some things on social media that uh, later they took down, speaking specifically here uh, in relationship to Twitter. Um, It's important to listen to the audio of things that you post, not just the pictures, and it's important to know if there's a larger context for the videos that you might be posting. So I, I, I lift this up because as Christians, we are representing Christ to the world. And those who follow us on social media, we should be leading them to follow Jesus. And so as you are considering what you like and what you repost, what you forward, um, what you advance, um, let me encourage you today to seriously consider Um, the full content and context of what you are putting forward and advancing in terms of your own platform. Um, Because even though maybe in your profile you say, uh, you know, something like a like or a follow or a retweet does not, um, is not an endorsement, in reality, that is the way we read it in the world today. Um, You are putting your name on it. And if you've put your name on it and you're a Christian, then you've you've put Jesus's name on it. And would Jesus stand by that tweet? Would he stand by the content of the character of those who are um, speaking or acting or demonstrating or whatever they're doing in in that? And so let me just encourage you uh, as a representative of Christ, as a representative of Christ in the world today, would Jesus recognize what you're doing and what you're saying as a good reflection, an honest reflection of his character, his values, his kingdom principles. Because that's really what we're in the world to do, is advance the kingdom principles of the king and the kingdom in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. All right, have a great day, and God bless. 
Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.